0: So this is another episode of the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. This week's episode is uh it's gonna be lease management. We're coming up on that time of year here in the southeast where uh new leases are becoming available, existing leases are looking for members, um, and leasing land down here is a is a big part of deer hunting because we don't have a lot of public land. uh, to go out and deer hunt on. So when you do deer hunt out there, it's, it's rather crowded. So we are being budget minded, you know, we're gonna cover how we did a deer lease for the past couple years uh, and kept it relatively inexpensive. I mean, you can come across deer leases in the central Florida area that are $10,000 a year, which is absolutely asinine in my opinion. Granted, they're fairly large. I mean, you can find some ten thousand dollars a year. They're twenty thousand acres. They also have like a really nice camp house, whatever you want to call it, on them. And you know, some do, some don't. Yeah. Uh, but you yeah. know, I mean, if, if that's your budget and that's what you want to do, then you go right I've ahead. It, right. Yeah, have at it. Uh, but me, I, I have no desire to spend that kind of money to lease property. So we go and, and we lease uh, land out of state in Georgia, which can still get fairly expensive. Yeah, depending on the place. Depending on yeah, depending on what county you're in, um, who you're leasing from, what kind of land you're leasing, timber company properties uh, generally fairly cheap. There's we other drawbacks to that, and we there there is out. yeah. Well, we'll get into that, but we were leasing for well under $10 an acre. Um, And we had 873 acres the first year. Um, And we had more members than you would want to I would say management wise put on 800 acres. Uh, But the whole point of putting the more members on there was to make it more affordable, um, and when you have the, the right people in there, then you can you can avoid the pressure, uh, and still have or have a lot uh, an area that's a lot less pressured than hunting public land.
1: We also uh, had members that were local and members that were local to the property, and then members that were out of
0: state. So it's kind of almost you know not all twelve members would be hunting at the same time either i I think that first year the majority there was probably really only about six or eight of us that hunted at one time on a regular basis on that property i mean uh there were several people that had other leases in addition to the lease they were on with us yeah uh there were some people that leased with us and then only hunted once or twice yeah um so you know so it wasn't bad on average, there were only about five of us at a time out there hunting. Uh, I think the most we ever saw was opening a weekend of rifle season. We had pretty full house out there. Yeah. Uh, Which was to be expected, really. Right, it was. You know, a weekend, usually. Oh, a big weekend, no matter pretty much where, wherever you're going to go. Oh, yeah. It's going to be busy on public land. It's going to be busy you know, on your private, private land. You expect to have most of your members there, but so what we're going to really cover uh, tonight is we're going to cover the management rules and the lease rules that I put in place as the president of our hunting club uh, to keep the peace and to kind of manage just how things were run around there for the deer season. As you can tell, we are on the road. We are headed north to Georgia. Tonight, uh, to go up here and, and do some work on a different piece of property that we don't lease, but just helping my dad out on the piece of property he leases. Trying to get in good graces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get a hunt here and there. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's all, it's all worth it. So, when we lease property, we lease from near Timber Company. Um, and we lease in Ludwissi, Georgia, which is in Southeast Georgia, uh, about an hour and a half across the state line from Jacksonville, Florida. Um, Leasing from the timber company has its drawbacks where they're, especially a company like Rainier, who manages timber for pulp wood. wood, um, They're they're gonna cut the woods you're hunting, and they did that to us a lot which kind of drove us away from where we were hunting uh, and ultimately ended the lease in and of itself. Well, I mean, the, the day they sprayed, we were
1: kind of we were pretty upset about that. But I mean, there ain't nothing we can do. Right, and it's all in your lease
0: agreement. Yeah, they, they could pretty much do that, but, uh, you know. And it's, think, it's something to keep like in that. mind, too, usually when you're leasing from anybody, is that you're not leasing the land in its entirety. Yeah. You're generally only leasing the hunting rights. Uh, With some exceptions. Uh, Like being able to plant food plots and and stuff of that nature. Uh, I would
1: say whoever you lease from, make sure that their rules for you are clear. Because we did, we went over and went over reindeer. You know they're, what they have in place as well I mean we leased from the timber company so they obviously didn't want us cutting the pine trees down and there's some other things in there I can't remember right off hand but all they were but I mean make sure you know what what you can and can't do per who you're leasing from
0: right um, and it's always a good thing too Rainier rolled it into their price per acre but they had liability insurance and when it comes to leasing from a private party who doesn't necessarily have that price rolled into there it's it's not a bad idea for a, you as a club president if, if you're going to start your own club to look into that um, it's not expensive and it's going to cover the landowner in an incident that someone gets hurt on the property Um, so it may bring them an extra peace of mind and help you to be able to lease that property the next year a big thing I would look for in leasing property from anyone uh, is that in your lease it gives you first right to refusal Uh, that way when your lease runs up that next year it can't be leased from underneath you by someone else until you have refused to lease it again. Yes. Uh, obviously, if you exceed your lease term and haven't paid your lease, then you're SOL there. But yeah. having that first right to refusal can, can keep that from happening to you. And it can happen. I mean, it's not the right thing to do as someone who owns property and leasing it out, but not saying it's not going to happen. Yeah. So. I mean, I know people that have been hunting on the property for, Know, 10 plus years and all of a sudden oh, we're, gonna, we're gonna sell the property now well you know, we've that, had that happen to my dad's had that happen to him several times and there's nothing not much you can do about that if the yeah. owner decides to sell the owner decides to sell um, so you can hope that if you're making good with the owner that uh, you can you can uh, get them to maybe try and get you in with whoever they're selling to at least from them as well yeah but it usually doesn't doesn't work out that way. So what we're going to do is we're going to go over the rules that I put in place uh, for our for our lease when we lease it the first year.
1: One thing you did was um, is you went over upon um, <clears throat> what a member is and what uh, like I don't how, explain, uh, how you like what 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 all comes with your membership and what it means as you. So, and I'll read the rule. Go ahead. Each membership consists of the member, spouse, and ch- any children 18 years of age and younger. Children between the ages of 19 and 22 will be considered family member if they are enrolled in college full time. You know, why did you specifically choose those those specific ages? Especially, you know, for, as far as uh, like the 19 to 22. And... Why did you come
0: up with that as being the definition for family members? So uh, 19 to 22 would be that you you would generally graduate college with a four-year degree at 22, 23 years old, right? Yeah. So you have a full-time student um, in your family at the college age and you're paying for their tuition and they're not uh, working to pay for their own school or even if they are working to pay for their own school, if you're paying the lease, I'm not going to tell them you know, I, I didn't feel that it was fair to just go ahead and eliminate that person at the cutoff age of 18 as an actual adult um, because they chose to further their education, right? So you continue yeah. to uh, include that person in the lease. Um, to, and, you know, I included the family in there. I've seen some leases where you pay your lease and all that is is you. If you're going to bring other... Members of your family up, then uh, you um, have to pay more. I can agree with that to an extent, uh, but in in like my case, I don't think you should have to pay to bring your kids to hunt. But I do think that your kids should hunt off of your tags, if that makes sense. Not in the legal sense for the state, but if you can kill, if you set in your your lease rules that you can only kill. Uh, we'll we'll say five deer two bucks and three does off the lease management as a management yeah Uh, then that includes that's two bucks and three does per membership yeah not two bucks and three does per person yeah Um, so if you're coming up there and hunting and you killed a buck and then your kid kills a buck then that's it for the bucks is does from here on out yeah Um, but you kind of got to keep in mind, there are some families where you can have husband and wife who both hunt equally as much and that is going to come down in in the way I see it would have to come down to an honesty thing. If if you know that your wife is just as much an avid hunter as you are, then maybe you should bring that up when you, I think you should bring that up when you go to do the lease because if she's going to be there hunting... Every single time that you're up there hunting, if, if every time you come to the woods it's going to be a family affair, then I think you should you should be paying two two spots on the lease. To, to kind of go off
1: of that a little bit, I know when uh, my grandfather leased um, property out of Castro in Florida for me and my cousin to hunt, technically only one of us can hunt at a time. So eventually he got and he bought two lease spots so that way me and my cousin could both hunt because we both pretty much hunted anyways you know I mean we were both there and that way you know to make it right we bought he bought two leases for us so we could have I could go hunt at the same time he could and that way you know he, he we could go out in the morning both times it wasn't like he had to go out in the morning he got to go out in the morning and I got to go out in the evening or something like that we both got to go out and things like that so it's fair. It's not just that's not like something that you did on your own. That's, a, that's a, something that happens a lot. Right. Um, the other thing was was uh, new members, and you had where um, a new to bring in a new member if somebody left or something. We were looking for new members. You had it to where either they needed to be recommended by an existing member or they had to fill out an application and come
0: in and have an interview with you why why did you decide to do that so when I brought on uh, when we started our lease I got guys that I knew um, and then to fill the last I think we had five spots left I brought on people that I didn't know at all Uh, but before when I brought in those five people I had about twelve guys come out to look at the property so so And of those 12, I chose, you know, these are the guys I want to go. And I spoke with seven or eight of them. And I told them, I said, hey, we'd love to have you on the lease if you want to join. Most of those guys did. Some of them didn't. Some of them just didn't give me the money in time. And that was understood that they, there's eight of you here that are looking to join the lease. We have five spots left. The first five people with $500 in hand are gonna fill those spots. I'm not going to hold a spot for you. Yeah. Um, so, that's how that was done. And I, and I want, you want to meet with those people, and you want to feel them out, because, I, I screwed up, and I took a member off, solely off recommendation of one of our other members, later on in the year. And, uh, he was not the most pleasant individual to hunt with. Yeah, um, I know you're
1: talking about. He did a lot of things. That,
0: there was a lot the two of, of us that
1: we didn't really like a whole lot. I mean, not that he was a horrible person. I don't think he was a just, bad person,
0: but he complained a lot. He did. Um, he didn't work a lot. He didn't work at all. And I, he did really, like, I, I, don't, I don't want to talk back about him, so kind of, you know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you exactly what he did. He, We went through as a group. In the in the lease, and we put up stands, uh,
1: club stands for the whole club uh, to hunt in.
0: We we can get into the club stands later. Yeah, but we put those stands out for the club to hunt out of first come first served basis, and I think we had six, something like that. Um, In front of those stands, we planted food plots that we all pitched in and paid for. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was getting complaints from him about where I put the stands. Uh, how he thinks they could have been done better and all this other stuff without him actually being there to do the work to put in the tree stand in the woods and, and put his input in when the time mattered. Uh, all I ever heard was complaints. I never got work. And he was he hunted people's tree stands without permission, personal tree stands that were set out uh, when it was made clear that the area in which these tree stands we had two separate pieces we had a 660 acre piece and a 271 acre piece that were about five miles apart on the 271 acre piece there were no club stands all stands on that 271 acres were put there by individual members to hunt out of and he was hunting out of stands on that 200 acres without asking for permission from the individual who owned the stand so That kind of ticked me off, and when it came time to lease again, I simply didn't ask him to lease with us. Yeah. Um, We had work weekends in place.
1: Um, Let's let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I know you, um, what was that? Um, Let's talk about, because we had a set in place where you could, all members were supposed to attend the work weekend, that we would, you know, work out the bit, you know, communicate, talk about, you know, when was the best time for pretty much everybody. And I know you had exceptions. Um, you had a fine in place if if you just didn't bother to show up or for the work weekend. So just kind of talk about that and, you know, why you did fines and what were your acceptable excuses to not be, being able to
0: show up without having to pay the fine so we set the work weekends were originally intended to be set up for us all to get together as a group and discuss when's the best time two weekends out of the summer for us all to show up and do maintenance around the around the lease um there were some of us that were local and we did more work than others because we were there you know we did regular maintenance filling feeders checking cameras things of that nature um but those two weekends were set up so that we could come up there, we could fix gates, we could fix feeders, we could hang more stands, we could, you know, mow, things that need to be done like that that would take more of a group effort. So the point was to set aside two weekends out of the summer that everyone could attend and work. Um, and if, you know, once those weekends were agreed upon, <clears throat> that was supposed to go into your calendar, as this weekend, these two days, I'm going to be here to work. If you couldn't make it, then you have to refresh me what I what I said the fine oh, was. um, other work weekends.
1: We'll be subject to a $50 fine paid to the club not to exceed $100 unless deemed excusable by the club president. So, I mean, you could have more than one fine. I think, I think you did it to where you couldn't admit, you didn't want, you did three work weekends? I don't, yeah. So there's no less than three mandatory work weekends. So you did three weekends. And I think I mean we'll go into the removal things um, later. I couldn't remember how you worked out that third one. I think the third one, like the first one, was meant to be like, okay, yeah, whatever. And the other two. I okay, so were the first fine, one was
0: the, fir- the first. The first work weekend was, hey, you know what? Crap happens. You got something came up. Yeah. No big deal. You forgot. Whatever. Second time, it's going to cost you 50 bucks. Yeah because you already made this mistake once. Right. And then the third time, you're gonna get another $50. You you wouldn't ever have to pay 150. Yeah. But the, the reason for the fine was, is we're all up there contributing in sweat to get something done on the lease. Yeah. So if you're not gonna be there and contribute your sweat, you're gonna contribute your cash. Yeah. Uh, that allowed us to go out and buy corn, buy blind material, buy seed, buy whatever we need to do with that 50 or or $100. So that we could uh, get a little more done on a, on a regular weekend where it wasn't a work weekend. Those of us that were local. Yeah. Um, that I mean, and the excusable things, like, you know, what, obviously... Yeah, what was an ex- excusable... Obviously a death in the family. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to hold that against you. Uh, a family emergency of any kind, that's that's not a big deal. It, like I said, crap happens, and there's nothing you can do about that. You can't plan around that because accidents happen. Yes. Um, that I mean, either that or at the last minute you're you're stuck at work. You know, like you could find out the weekend yeah. prior. I could find out. You know, that, that week Friday prior, that I'm yeah. working Saturday. You're working Saturday, so and you can't help that because I'm not going to try and je- I'm not going to jeopardize your job for your hunting lease. Yeah. So there are things... If it was something completely outside of your control, then I wasn't going to... I'm not going to find you for that. You had every intention to be there. Crap happens. It is what it is. But if we plan this work weekend, and then your kid's friend has their birthday party, and you can't go because of that, that's a that's a poor excuse, and I deem that fineable. Yes. Um, let's
1: take a second to talk about um, removal from the club like you you had in place the three strike rule obviously if you don't pay your dues you're out <laughs> right um, what what were uh, some other things that you deemed acceptable for like immediate removal or like um, and how did you come up with it Well, I think I had... You had failure to pay dues, any action of unsafe, or reflects dishonor, or disgrace upon the club, and accumulating three strikes.
0: So, perfect example. A couple examples. But the perfect example to deflect disgrace, disgrace upon the club is to go out there, because we were in an area where they ran a lot of dogs, and shoot somebody's hunting dog. Yeah. You're done. That's it. Adios, yeah, some more. and I'm, and then you can go deal with the guy whose dog you shot. That, that, that's also the, that's also a pretty unsafe. Yes. To do. Um, um discharge. You know, depending on where you where you decided to sight your gun in or whatever, you know, unsafe acts with a firearm, you're done. I'm not having that. That's inexcusable. You know, uh, yeah. getting drunk and high around the woods and and. Uh, tearing the woods up and stuff like that you're done. Break one of reindeer's rules for the lease you're done. Um, you know those were those are right there at the top uh, but then we also had the three strike rule in place. We had deer management rules. you break one of those rules some of these smaller rules you're going to get a strike and so on you know so on and so forth your strikes are going to reset every year but if year after year, you continue to commit the same offense, um, and I believe I put in there if you if you get two more than one strike for the same thing, then that's that's also you're done. It, I'm not gonna, you're not just gonna come in here and, and and break the same rule more than once and get away with it. You know, once is a mistake, twice is you're doing it on purpose. Yeah. Um. Guess.
1: Um. The would you? deemed as being a a guest. I know you kind of went over that a little bit with the family. Right. But let's kind of go because, you know, like for me I I, I didn't have anybody that would be a good family. So everybody I brought on would have been a guest. Right. Um, But kind of talk about how you came up with um, what you defined as a guest and how the reason why you did this many guests I that you did the uh, maximum of three
0: and one guest per trip. So I, did, I wanted, so to do the maximum of bringing a guest three times, I wanted to eliminate uh, somebody from going, yeah, I'm going to join your club. And then every weekend they bring their buddy, right? Mm-hmm. Who hunts with them. Yeah. So essentially you got two guys paying for one lease spot. Yeah. It's not fair to the rest of us who paid for one person. So, uh, that's why I set, you know, three get, Three, you bring a guest three times and then that's it. Yeah. A guest would pretty much be anybody who doesn't live under your roof. Uh, yeah. Who would not, anybody who doesn't, who wouldn't normally live under your roof. Obviously, if you're a single guy with a roommate, your roommate is still your guest. Yes. <laughs> blood family that lives under
1: your roof. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, I mean, like me, if I brought on my cousin, that would have been a guest. Um, you know, if I'd have brought my, my dad, that would have been a guest. Uh, things right. like that. Right?
0: Outside of a marital relationship, husband, wife, children, those aren't guests. Yes. Anybody outside of that, fathers, nephews, friends, those are all guests. Mm-hmm. Fathers, mothers, nephews, friends, those are all guests to the property. Um, and you could bring the same guest three times. Yes. Uh, in fact, I think I used my guests. I brought the same guy three times. Yeah. Who actually became a member the next year. Yes. So, he just we just met too late after all the uh, lease spots were full. So.
1: Yeah. Um, let's get into now. This I think will probably take a little bit more time, and and go through this this section. This is um, your actual deer management. So, I mean, I'm gonna go just go through this one at a time. Uh, first section is is handler restrictions. All bucks harvested must have, have a minimum of six points or better width. Your second buck being bigger than the first. Uh, Georgia law also dictates that one of your bucks harvested must have at least four points on one side, uh, longer than one inch. You know, why did you decide? You know, six points or better, obviously. The other, you know, other being the state law that you have to follow, anyways.
0: And, um, you know, that's how did you come up with six points or better? So I wanted to try and produce a better quality deer on our lease. I didn't just want to shoot the first thing that walks out, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't want people doing that. Uh, and that that rule applied to those, uh, I believe, over 16. Um, well,
1: I was, was going to get into that's going to be my next question. Right. And I was going to go over that I was kind of kind of skip down
0: to that because I'm, I didn't remember if you
1: actually wrote that in the rule I c so
0: the the purpose of that was just simply to produce a better quality deer, yeah because the state of Georgia in our county allowed you to kill any buck, one of the bucks could be any size, and then the second buck had to be four points on one side so there are some counties in the state of Georgia that require you to kill both bucks with at least four points on one side yeah. And, that has, and, and if you look at the records in those counties, those counties regularly produce bigger, more mature deer because they have better management practices in place throughout the county. So what I wanted to be able to do, and I, I thought, you know, my original thought was to do uh, eight-pointer better for the whole year, but then not having any... History with the property, I decided to go down to six point at least yeah. for the first year, till we could had a better what idea of what, what we had. Was going on. And, and in reality, we could have done eight point or better that first year with the photos we had. A deer, we had plenty of eight points, and we had some really nice bucks on there. Well, that was if you did that based on solely on the, what we had on camera. Yes, what we actually seen. Well, it does not matter. <laughs> but, we, had, we had great management practice. We didn't kill any of the bucks because yeah. we didn't see any of the bucks. <laughs> Uh, but we had some really good bucks on camera there. We did. And a lot of it was wrong place at the at the wrong time. Because it was. We had we for a solid uh thirty minutes one day we had two big big nice, eight points. Nice eight, eight points. Fight. Just duking it out the in 10, middle at in the morning, forty yards in front of a ladder stand. Yeah. On a Saturday. Nobody was there to hunt it. Yep. <laughs> it, it just happens like that. It does. I mean, uh,
1: a lot of, in my personal opinion, a lot of hunting and being able to kill a buck is being at the right place and a lot, in the right time. And a lot of your skill from hunting and being able to kill as mature bucks is knowing how to find
0: out where you need to be and when you need to be there. <laughs> well, and that was that was our big problem, too, with that place. It was really hard to pattern deer within running it was, dogs. It was really hard to pattern it. Uh, because the deer were so sporadic. It was. They, they couldn't form a good, you know, one week they were here and then they were gone for two weeks and they'd show back up for a day or they'd be there every day for two weeks and then they'd be gone for a month yeah. and a half. Like, uh, I think I had the
1: six point. How long did I have that six point on my camera for? I had a couple of six points on that one camera by where I had my climber at and they were there for And then all of a sudden, they disappeared, I think. Yeah. And I think during the rut, I had a different six-point show up. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about that. You, you try to go into it. I know I kind of stopped you because that was going to be my next question. We um, said that, I, I'll read the rule. Any, any child under the age of 16 who has not who has yet to harvest their first buck may take one buck, spike or larger, for as their first buck once the first buck has been harvested no management rules apply you know why Why did you why did you include that in the rules and you know
0: why why the age of 16 um 16 purely for a maturity level yeah past age of 16 and I think even before that yeah there you should be able to reach a mature enough level to understand that yeah we're letting these deer go so they can grow bigger but at the same time uh, if, if you got a kid who hasn't harvested a deer um, it's all about hunter recruitment and if you can get through that and get the kid in the woods get a four point on the ground if that makes that kid happy and they're super excited about it and that's going to get that itch and get them coming back to the woods year after, year after year after year after year and contribute to conservation as we as hunters and outdoorsmen do then that's what it's about. We're playing the long game there. Um, so you, you're wanting to just to get that deer out of the way to, to light that fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but after 16 years of age, and I I really put that in there because we had guys that were 20 years old that had never harvested a deer before. Yeah. Um, but like I said, you're, you're a grown man. You know, you at this point need to understand that we're doing this for a management purpose. And, uh, you just need to let it go. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in, in rules, you stated, um, about harvesting does. And, it's should obviously, make sure it's legal. And, um, it had to be 100-plus pounds. Uh, why, why did you decide 100 pounds on that? And we'll get into, like, some of the, uh fines and things for um,
0: for uh, under 100 pounds or other things. but So, um, I want to keep does at 100 pounds or better because you can have... I, I really wanted to keep, push people away from harvesting button bucks. Yeah, Because a small button buck, if you're not paying careful enough attention, can look like a, a doe. Or yes. could have no nubs at all, and truly look like a doe. Yes. Until you spread the legs apart. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want. I didn't want that to happen. That's the last thing I wanted to happen. Uh, so I put that 80 pound rule in place so that people aren't going out there, and, <laughs> and or 100 pound rule in place so that people aren't going out there and shooting, uh, shooting little does and stuff like that. Because nine times out of ten, when you see that small doe come out. Um, you're going to you're going to see a bigger one falling behind her Those traveling yeah. groups for the most part and if it's by itself it's probably not a doe yeah uh, but I'll let you go ahead into the fines because I think I had some other wording in there about that yes yes uh, well that's what that's where it's 60 Cuz come in yeah you can't I'll, judge on the hoof
1: I will read poundage I will read this because this also goes with with uh with uh with bucks as well for fines and says any buck harvested under 6 points will be subject to a $100 fine and will count as one strike any doe harvest, harvested under 60 pounds will be subject to a $100 fine and counts as one strike so I mean obviously I understand the, the buck portion of that because that that's just that's the rule and how did you come up with the dollar amount and Why did you also include a strike with that, but then being fined as well?
0: Okay, so, you're getting a strike because you're breaking a rule. Yes. If you're harvesting a doe under, and she comes in under 60 pounds, you're getting a strike. Mm -hmm. The reason I gave you that 40-pound gap was because, like I said, it's hard to judge weight on the hoof. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah. But the 100 pounds was designed to make you think twice about... Is that doe 80 pounds is that doe 100 pounds just call just to make you think right you can definitely tell when a deer is around 60 pounds because they are tiny that is a tiny deer that is literally the size of a dog so that is not a mistake that is okay it can be a mistake but that's purely done to either either a you made the choice to shoot that deer or B, you didn't take your time and you rushed it, yep. and you shot that deer. So um, the the hundred dollars, the, the way I came up with that that fine amount was, I don't want to be outrageous and charge you a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. But I also don't want to. Ch- I want to charge you enough to where it stings a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So a mm-hmm. hundred bucks. That's a hundred bucks. And it wasn't. Uh, it it wasn't stings a, a
1: little bit, but it's not
0: like. Right. Absolutely
1: god-awful of a fine. And I,
0: I believe somewhere in there, I put in there, this, this $100 wasn't due to us immediately on killing of the deer, yeah. right? This $100 was due before you could go back and hunt again. So yeah. you had your option at that point. You could not pay the fine. That's I, fine, but you can't hunt anymore. Yeah. And if you were caught hunting prior to paying the fine, you were, again, breaking a rule. I, I, was, I, was, I was getting into that next as far as
1: in, in our rules here. Right. Um, that we had in place the you know uh, the next article in our rules was you know three strike rule and fines um but do you yeah. have anything else on that? No I the think part? that's about it there okay um okay, any book deemed unhealthy due to injury found to be spreading bad genetics. Oh, okay, this is exceptions, okay. Uh, any buck under six points deemed unhealthy due to injury, found found to be spreading bad genetics through the herd, may be harvested. Um,
0: had to have a two thirds vote to be able to harvest that buck too. So um, that two thirds vote more went towards what people would refer to as coal buck. Yeah, I don't personally buy that, but. I put the rule in there because there's a lot of people to do. Yeah. So we could take a tooth or We could take a vote on it as a club with a trail camera photo of a buck that appeared to have quote-unquote bad genetics. Yes. And then if that buck was seen, it was a harvestable deer. Yes. Now, injury was strictly to be made by the person at the time of the shooting. If you see a deer and it is... Got obviously, physically injured. The I wouldn't dog even say shot three the leg. leg off. <laughs> well, let, if the deer is making it around fine on three legs, I'd leave it with three legs. Yeah. But if it's been shot in the rear end and it's got a bad infection and it's dragging a the leg, then you need to kill it. If it's yeah. basically, for lack of better words, like a mercy killing, you're, yeah. you're killing it to put it out of its misery because it's suffering. Right? Kind of a humane it's, thing. It's very obviously not in good health, things of that nature. You shoot the deer to end its suffering or if it could possibly be sick to remove that uh the ability to spread that from the hurt yeah so uh was that
1: for was that really for like a cold buck thing or is that more uh, of a hurt health thing it was more of a hurt health thing okay alright well let's move into the uh our three strike rule and you know talk about um not paying fines a little bit more. Kind of expand upon that a little bit here. Um, upon receiving your third strike, you will forfeit membership club without a refund. Strikes will reset at the beginning of every deer season. If you break the same rule, some of this is kind of we've talked about two seasons in a row. You forfeit membership. Why did you choose not to have the refund them the money? Um, and why? Well, I, um, I think you talked about that already About um,
0: You know If you break the same rule For two seasons Well obviously You're not going to get a refund Because we need that money To pay the lease yeah. I'm not going to come out of pocket uh, To pay you back Your lease money Because you broke the rules Yeah Um What was in there about fines I apologize I was checking uh, the time I'm, I'm looking for that
1: uh, I hadn't got to it yet Um all fines will be paid prior to the next hunt. Uh, I'll, I'll, hey, we'll I'll recover redo this. that. Um, breaking the quality, breaking of quality deer management rules will will come with a fine of a hundred dollars, not to exceed three hundred dollars per person. Uh, failure to attend mandatory work weekend will result in fifty dollar fine, not to exceed a hundred dollars per person. So I mean, it's, I think it's kind of obvious why it won't see uh, exceed three hundred dollars because you get three strikes, obviously. Right. But let's talk about well say a member shot, a sixty-pound dough, didn't not didn't, exa- um, didn't show up for like, let's say both work weekends and they made one or whatever. You deemed it necessary they didn't show up they didn't have to show up for one or whatever. Um, and they, they got three different they had three other strikes pay the $100 for whatever reason so they ended at that point they ended up paying more than the $300 limit
0: on that well the $300 limit
1: was that just for that was just
0: for the deer management okay all in all you could pay well no it would never exceed $300 because at the point that for that section I mean it it would never exceed $300 period and I'll tell you why because if I was put in the position and I would expect most everybody else to do the same yes that say i missed both work weekends so there's a hundred bucks yeah and then i broke two rules so there's three hundred dollars i have paid a maximum of three hundred dollars yeah now i break a third rule which is also a finable offense of a hundred dollars so now i'm removed from the lease i'm not going to pay a hundred dollars yeah okay i see what you can do and i i wouldn't expect you to and i'm not going to run you down for a hundred dollars you're not hunting anymore yeah Okay, um, let's talk about our club
1: stands. Um, kind of expand upon your rules for that, for those club stands. I know we planted food plots there, and they were first come, um, first serve. Um, I mean, obviously we could put, you were pretty much allowed to put a stand, stand wherever you wanted. Um, I know you uh, you had a 200-yard r- apart rule. Um. talk about that um, obviously one reason being safety why you had chose 200 yards Um, kind of talk about that a little bit why you chose you know any disputes how you decided you were going to go about
0: that so I strictly put those rules in place over rules that I had either seen for other clubs or issues I would had in the past on other clubs uh, the 200-yard rule was mainly for safety, right? Yeah. Uh, we don't need to be hunting on top of each other. But at the same time, I had hunted on a lease uh, in Tifton, Georgia, when I was younger, Yeah. where everybody put their own stands out, except for, I think there were four or five box stands that were club stands. Yeah. My dad had put a ladder up, and he had been watching a nice seven point that he was going to trying to get my, my younger brother to kill as his first buck and another member came in and put a, a climber 20 yards from my dad's ladder stand and wounded that deer and never found it they found the skull months later that's where the 200 yard goal came in a big portion of that yeah. because I put in the effort to get in there to find that deer to find the right stand placement and all this stuff for someone else to work, go off my work and come sit there standing there at the same time and on the same hand. If I had done that and you would have came to me and said, hey, Will, do you mind if I go hunt your ladder stand tomorrow? And I would say, sure. If I wasn't going to hunt there, sure, go ahead. And then if you shot that at some point hunting out of my ladder stand that I gave you permission to sit in, I have no problem with that. Because you asked, plain and simple, and that was in the rules too. Yeah. Uh, but if I'm going to put in my effort into finding that area to hunt that deer, then I want you to have the common courtesy to say, "Hey, uh, can I cheat off your test?" Yeah. You know. <laughs> um. Uh, let's talk about club stands for a minute, because we did have.
1: Well, I guess mostly with with the one guy. I, I was kind of a fan of club stands, uh, just because that meant it didn't, it meant I really didn't have to buy a bunch of tree stands to have stands in the woods, you know, um, at first, and then, uh, we really didn't have a lot problem with, like, too many people hunting, and I know, I know the guy complained because we had, I think you had a guest, one time, and some other members were there, and he kind of claims he didn't have a place to hunt. but he he did sort of, but it was, well, we were kind of full thing. that weekend. And
0: that in that instance, I did give him the option to hunt where he wanted to hunt, and he chose to hunt somewhere else. Yeah, but then complained because he said he wanted to hunt the stand. When I said, "Where do you want to hunt in the morning?" I'll put this guy somewhere else. The guest is going to take the last thing, yeah. and uh, and most time I went as far as to put guests in one of my personal stands that I put out. Yeah. Now, all that being said, the club stands were really there because a lot of the guys on our lease didn't own a bunch of tree stands. Yeah. The club stands were stands that I either got that I personally either purchased cheap or were given to me. Yeah. So I didn't pay anything for them, and I had the most tree stands out of all the people there. Yeah. Um, and I had no problem with setting those out. So the guys who, A, didn't have a place to put these stands, and B, didn't have the ability to afford those stands or afford multiple stands, could still have multiple stands to hunt in. Yeah. Um,
1: how did you... I guess this comes into more of like a, a general hunting thing, but how did you decide where wanted to put club
0: stands. So, the club stands were put where they were put because they afforded a good opportunity to kill deer and also a good place to plant a food plot. Yeah. Because our intention was to all pay into food plots and plant food plots in front of the club stands, which we did. Yeah. Uh, And a lot of the food plots grew pretty well. Some of our club stands were actually already on the property when we leased it yeah uh two where so we had two box stands that were already on the property when we leased it one of them we moved because it was in a bad location it was literally 40 yards from the property line one way and 100 yards from the property line the other so we moved it further into the interior of the property yeah uh and the other one was in a pretty good spot and i don't know that anybody ever hunted over there but um i thought we had a guy hunt there like I think it's his only trip up. I think he hunted there. You know what? That yes, uh, Adam hunted over there. And that morning uh, of the of the club stand dispute, I actually put the guest in that in that in that box in yeah. that box stand yeah. uh, because he the the member said, "Hey, I wanted to hunt this stand at the last minute." So I said, "That's fine. You go hunt there. I'll put this guy over here." So you're right. All right. Um.
1: You had uh, a rule about off-season hog hunting and scouting that we would, uh, that all that kind of stuff would stop prior to, three weeks prior to opening weekend of deer season. Uh, why did you decide to do that, and why
0: did you choose that that time frame? Three weeks, to me, just seemed like a good amount of time to let the woods sit still, be quiet, no activity on our property, uh, give you the entire summer to scout, do whatever you needed to do. and kill hogs if we could find hogs out there so the three weeks was just simply put there to uh, to give that rest period before the before the uh, season opened
1: okay um you had it as a rule in here um to have a family friendly environment why why did you choose make that a rule and not as just being like a common courtesy?
0: Because not everybody sees it that way.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: And I wanted it in there because yeah. I had a family. I knew other guys had families. So, that's what we, I, I just wanted that to be known that we were going to keep this family friendly. We want to keep it as clean as we can. I'm not going to tell you you can't drink. I I enjoy beer, especially at the hunting camp. Yeah. Uh, but, when, and you know, I sometimes will have a few too many at the hunting camp, but when the kids are around and wives and things of that nature, you, you need to really watch yourself. It's just being respectful. Uh, but again, not everybody was raised the way we were raised, so that doesn't always come second nature.
1: Yeah. Um, talk about your rule for amending camp rules. Okay. Um, You have in here that it has to be at least any change you want to bring up has to be brought up to members at least uh, 30 days prior to the meeting and an explanation of the purpose of the change. And also you as the president had the right to veto it unless you were like the only one that that had a no vote. Talk about that a little bit, and why you wanted a two-thirds vote,
0: more than just like a majority. So, for the the changing of rules thirty days prior to a meeting, I just wanted those things. I didn't want to be caught off guard uh, with a complaint at the meeting. Uh, yeah. So, at the point that the it was going to be brought up to change a rule. Um, I would have then used our social media platform. We had a a Facebook group that had all the guys in the lease in it. I would have brought it up at that point uh, through that. This rule has been brought up to change so everybody can see it, think on it, formulate a response, a yay or nay. We hit the meeting. We bring that up at that point.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I reserve the right to veto in the the event that... uh, say, for example, someone thinks that we should be able to kill spikes or whatever we want to do, or that uh, you should be able to hunt whatever stand you want, no matter who it belongs to, Uh, and the majority of people agreed with that, unless, we'll say two-thirds of people agreed with that, Yeah, the other third didn't. I reserve the right to veto that because that's not what we're about. Now, like I said, my veto is outweighed at, 11, at an 11-to-1 vote. I can't veto that. That's a majority rule. Yeah. Uh, so, it is It is what it is. But that was just simply set up so that we could, as a, as a club, discuss and change rules to benefit everyone. Yeah. Because I'm not, and I'll never claim to be this master hunter that knows everything and how it's done, if you have a, uh, a an issue with the rules and you have a valid suggestion and changing them and a way to change it and a solution to your problem, uh, I invite you to bring up your, your issue. Uh, but if you're going to complain at the same time, also provide a solution. Okay.
1: Um, next you have uh, in the section is general camp hunting and running rules. I want to just talk about why you Maybe you go into the Ten Commandments of Gun Safety and why you specifically wrote that into the rules, even though it being just something that people should know in general, especially in hunting and around firearms. So just read them off. Let's hear what okay. the Ten Commandments of Gun Safety are. Uh, treat every gun as if it was loaded. That's very important. Uh, always keep, keep gun pointed in a safe direction with safety on until ready to shoot. Unload guns when not in use. Be sure the barrel is clear of obstructions. That you have proper ammunition for the gun you carry. Be sure your target and what is beyond it. Never point a gun at anything you do not intend to kill. Never climb a tree, fence, or jump jump a ditch with a loaded gun. Never pull a gun toward, toward you by the muzzle. Never shoot a, a bullet at a flat, hard surface or water. Store guns and ammo separately,
0: beyond reach of children, and avoid alcohol before and during shooting. So that's just there because, again, those are the Ten Commandments of gun safety. Yes, and that's, and it's not something that everybody knows. And to be honest with you, I could not have recited those verbatim. No, I, but, I mean I couldn't. I mean I could have recited, you know, most of them in general. Right. Um. But it's that's just general gun safety, and it's something that. Growing up around firearms, I practice without even thinking about it. Yes. Right. Uh, but you put those in there so that those rules are written. Some, yes. literally, some of these rules are in our rules just so that the rule is written down. Yes. Uh, it's it's known. It's out there. You see it. You read it. You signed the rule book at yes. the end. That that's strictly it
1: for the gun and, safety. I mean, did you, like, include that in there? Like, so, if somebody, you could... If it was bad, they did something out of here
0: that was bad enough, you could have a strike against them for that? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. If you're out there being reckless with a firearm, that that's it. I'm not going to give you a strike for jumping a ditch with a loaded gun. Yeah. Uh, but I am going to talk to you about it and yeah. why it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, or... Because some things I'm just not going to see. But yeah. if you're out there shooting at something to hear the bullet ricochet. Yeah. Or you're shooting guns off up into the air. Yeah. You're that that's a strike. In okay. fact, that is that's just a one and done. Yeah. That's completely unsafe and that was covered in there if you're doing reckless acts, unsafe acts like that, you're done. I'm not gonna have that around there because again, right at the beginning of that, it's a family friendly environment. Yeah. There are children out there. One, it's unsafe. Two, the kids are watching you do that. They learn from seeing, you know. Yes. you got to lead by example. Um,
1: Again, and I think you you might have talked about this, but you said that members will obey all wildlife laws. You know, again, that why you put that in there just so it's written, you read it, and you know it, and if you break it, you can have a strike or be removed. If you
0: broke a state game law, you were done. You're out. Whether you were caught or not, correct? Well, obviously, well, whether you were caught by the law, man, or not. Yes, yeah, so that's what I mean by, yeah. It. if, Green, if, I, if it. I didn't catch you, or somebody else didn't catch you, unless yeah. you were open and honest about it, yeah.
1: then, um, I mean, I think,
0: but to be honest, depending if on the law, it, depending on the law, you, would you would broke, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I may just give you a strike on that one. Yeah.
1: Um, it says, all campfires will be a tentative fire escapes member, all members present will help to control and notify
0: authorities. Um, why did you write that in? The so that rules? was in Ears' rules. A safety thing. That what? is a safety thing. Our camp at the first at the first place was very tiny, and it would have been very easy for a campfire to get out of control and destroy everybody's stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but that was also in Ears' rules. Yes. So it made its way into ours. Um. I'm kind of just
1: gonna go through you and ask you some of these questions about about these because they're general rules, and I think you wrote a lot of these in here, like you said before. So it's written in here. You've read, you break these rules, you can, you're subject to a strike, maybe not a fine, but, or if it's, you know, seen enough, they can be removed. And it's written and read and understood. Right. But I mean, I'm just going to go through them, and, you know, if I have a question, I'll ask you. I said, um, all members are responsible for their guests. Any guest who breaks the camp rule is unsafe or unreliable to be asked to leave. You know, you Again, like I said, I think that's probably one that you wrote in there. Well, it's probably more than likely
0: understood, but it's wrote in there because you signed a paper. Right. Correct. you got to understand that if you're going to bring these people, you're going to bring a guest to hunt, you're responsible for telling them our rules, they're responsible for following the rules, and you are responsible if your guest breaks a rule. Mm -hmm. And that even includes up into a fine. If your guest was to break a rule a fineable offense, then you are going to receive a fine. It is up to you to get the hundred dollars from that guest. Yes. But you're gonna receive a fine. Yeah. I'm not gonna give you a strike, but you will still receive the fine. Okay. So I mean, being responsible,
1: I mean if the guest commit breaks a a rule that's just like an
0: offense for a strike, do you get the strike as well or No. Okay. So we'll say your guest goes out and shoots a 60 pound doe. Yeah. You're getting a hundred dollar fine, but you're not getting a strike. Yeah. because you did not break the rule now yeah. that guest is not going to be allowed back
1: yeah
0: um, Stand. I mean this is
1: redundant Stands should be at least 100 200 yards apart or completely out of sight of each other the club president will settle disputes over stand locations the president's decision is final. so we'll talk
0: about that a little bit we'll get into that 200 yards apart or out of sight of each other perfect example yeah you had a climber that was within the 200-yard limit of the box stand, the club yes. stand. It was out of sight. But it was well out of sight. Not only was it out of sight, but it was in an area where it could only be hunted from the climber. Yes. You couldn't see the area from the box stand. That being said, you never hunted the climber when somebody wanted to hunt the box stand. Yes. And vice versa. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure, when I before I even put my stand there,
1: I asked you about that and to clarify. So I'm like, hey, it's kind of close to this box stand. Is that okay? Obviously, I think if even in the conversation, obviously
0: if somebody wants to hunt the box stand, I won't hunt that stand. And um, two, your climber was originally set there at the beginning of the season as a bow stand. It was. Because... That, that was kind of the main trail deer were using
1: based on camera photos and just scouting that I'd done. Right. I'd found that's where deer were moving through, and try, I was trying to get closer. To, to where the deer were gonna be during bow season right and that was like I said that was, I think I ended up taking it down after bow season ended or after muzzleloader I took it, I took it down I believe yes but I mean that was just an example of a, you know the out of sight thing right um, why didn't you include the out of sight in the stand
0: placement rules I don't remember <laughs> it wasn't in there. <laughs> it just may have been something that occurred to me a later mistake. on when I was writing it. Okay. Yeah. Not uh-huh. necessarily a mistake, but just other further clarification. Yeah, okay. It um, says, so mm-hmm. no no littering.
1: All trash will be placed in a camp trash receptacle or removed from the site. At the weekend. I mean, mm. Again, if you're an outdoorsman, I, I would think that that should have been, like... That's common practice, anyway. That's just purely conservation. Yeah. You know, I mean, but again, uh, it, sometimes I wonder why these things have to be wrote down. Like, like that should really shouldn't have to be. It should just be common right. courtesy that you
0: don't leave you, you pack it in, you pack it out. But again, not everybody was yeah. brought up that way. We had some people that were very new to the, the hunting world. Yeah, they wanted to get started hunting, and I volunteered. Hey. I'll help you learn to hunt. You can join the lease, pay like everybody else, and we'll go from there. So we put those rules in there so that those people see it too. Last rule. And then I have have
1: some other questions. Uh, Assuming alcohol while hunting is prohibited. I think that was
0: pretty obvious. (laughs) That's a rule. And that goes back to the alcohol and firearms thing. Yeah. Right? Not only is it unsafe to have alcohol and firearms mixed together, but it is unsafe to be trying to climb a ladder when you're drunk. Cl- Use a climber when you're drunk. Yeah, you, you're gonna you could risk falling out of a tree, and on and on top of that, it's you're breaking a state law. It's illegal. Yeah. So,
1: all right. Well, last thing I had is um, why did you have members sign those rules and, and
0: submit that back to you when, when we did this? Plain and simple, because I knew. If someone was to break a rule, the first words out of their mouth were going to be, that's not in the rules. Yeah. And then I can go to my file that I kept with everyone's signed copy of the rules in it and say, hey, you have a copy that you maintain, and so do I. This is where you signed it. This is the page it's on right here. See the rule? You signed the rule book. If you didn't read it, that's on you. Yeah. So that, that was... Plain and simple.
1: Well, that that about covers it for rules. Um, why, how did did you come up with these rules? And, how, how did you, I don't think how to explain it. How did you come up with these rules? And, what, what brought you to, uh, just doing it, um, Deciding to, that you were going to be the president in general.
0: So, I was president of the lease because the lease wasn't my name. Yeah. Uh, uh, when Ray and Ear wanted their thousands of dollars, their eight grand, they yeah. didn't come to you. No. They came to me. Yeah. Uh, so, the, you know, I collected everybody's money, put it into a bank account, and then paid the lease out of that bank account. Yeah. That's who Ray and was taking money from was me. So. Yeah. And I was ultimately ultimately responsible for all of you, yeah. And what you did, uh, if you got if you were out cutting down a pine tree, and uh, you got caught and ran air saw it, they're gonna fine us. They're not gonna find the club for it. They're gonna find me for it. Yeah. So, that's I take on that responsibility. And as far as drafting the rules goes, that came from one the rules that my dad had set in place throughout the years hunting with my dad the stuff I learned watching him run at least for many 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 years uh, it came from like I said earlier places where there weren't rules involved like the 200 yard stand rule yeah that wasn't a rule at that club the guy that put that stand there was in no way breaking a rule yeah but I wanted to make sure that that wasn't going to happen on our place so I made it a rule yeah uh, and I also read some other camp rules, some other hunting lease rules. I, I just pretty much Googled hunting lease rules. I, I, messaged a few people. I bounced ideas off of you. I bounced ideas off my dad, uh, over and all. I mean, how many pages is it? It's like a seven page document, seven or eight page document. Yeah. Um, and it took me about a week to write all those.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then I emailed it out to everybody, and had everybody sign it and email it back to me, or I handed it physically handed it to you in person. Yeah. So,
1: that, that we've about covered all our. Uh, was there anything in there that you wish you had uh, had either put in, or anything that you wish you would have like? And eh, maybe we really didn't need this this rule as a rule, or like anything you would do different if you had to do this all over again. Yeah,
0: no whining. No whining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but really, I mean, that's just being an adult. And everybody's gonna have their complaints. But the thing is, I think to add to the rule, if you don't like the way something's written, one, you don't have to join the lease. Two, if you're gonna complain about something, have a solution. Yeah. I, I looking back, I would have put that in the rules. I don't. I don't like complaints without solutions. If you have an issue, I wanna. I'm. I'm open to hear your complaints and your issues with what I've put down but I also want you to come with me on the same hand with a solution to your problem or a possible solution to it and we can work through it together to get it figured out to make everybody happy because that's the point you know yeah. and the rules are strictly there to make it easy to, and enjoyable to hunt Yeah. because it is it's stressful yeah uh, to manage a lease mm-hmm. and have to worry about yeah. those those rules and The first year was rough uh, on me. I I really didn't enjoy managing it uh, because I had a lot of people who I kind of felt like I had to watch over. Yeah. uh, To make sure they weren't breaking rules. Yeah. The second year, uh, a lot of those people left or we just didn't ask them to lease. And the second year was a lot better. Uh, So we kind of just did our thing that second year we're all adults who had a lot of hunting experience and yeah. that was far more enjoyable that second year, the second time around. Well, I know like
1: the second year we really didn't go off of this. And but at the same time, the, the group of guys we had hunting together kinda understood this and understood why you had these rules in place and it was pretty much we followed those rules. The second even though year we didn't was, really kill any deer. It was kind of understood more. We had we were a lot smaller, and the group, like I said, the group of guys we had were really, we were all kind of on the same page with
0: this. Right, and that's why we didn't have a second drafting of the rules come out that next year. We, I knew all those guys on a more personal level. I knew that we were all on the same page as far as management goes. I knew we all hunted the same way. We got along really well. We would commonly get together and have beers on the weekends. Guys that were, even if we weren't hunting, you know, I worked with a lot of those guys. I've known you more than half of my life now, yeah. you know, and we've always gotten along. So those guys, we kind of didn't need that written set of rules anymore. Yeah. They didn't require a management yeah. like, the, like the first group did. Yeah. Um, and that's that really comes down to having less people on a lease. The smaller lease you have, the less stressful it is to, to run it. Yeah. You have less people to worry about. And you get to know those people more intimately. So then you get a better understanding of how who they are, what they're about, how they hunt. If you, you know, have the same principles when it comes to hunting, those type of things. So that second year was a lot better in that aspect. Um, and I really enjoyed hunting a lot more that second year. We still didn't see any... Well, I said we didn't see any deer. We saw a lot more deer the second year than we did the first year. Yeah. Um, still didn't kill anything. But again, that was just wrong place, wrong time. I most think, of it. I think a lot of uh, that second year was
1: we we didn't hunt a lot and we were pretty discouraged. That second year, really. Yes. Sir. I know. I, I know the first year. I think after about Thanksgiving, I I, I, I got really discouraged about it and was, I was kind of down and out about
0: it, but. And that that's understandable not seeing well it wasn't so much it's not we weren't seeing deer but we were getting the evidence that the deer were there yeah we just weren't there when the deer were there yeah uh, so that's, that's frustrating because uh, you couldn't you couldn't get that pattern figured out to be there when the deer were there yeah um, I'll tell this story all about that property
1: and it's a pretty good one and you know what you know, I'll, I'll wait until this. The tip of the week to do to tell a story. Yeah, I know which one you're good at. <laughs>
0: well, you know, hey, we're coming to the end, so we can go ahead and jump right on into the tip of the week. This is going to be that. This this is the first podcast we've had break the hour mark, so yeah. It's been, it's Hope been you listened this far. No kidding,
1: right? <laughs> well, you, you you want to go on uh, yours first, or you want me to go? You go ahead. Uh, if you're, if it is deer season and you are. It doesn't matter if you're actually in the stand or whatever. Make sure you have a gun close or your bow, if it's bow season or your archery hunting. Make sure you have that pretty close where you can get to it. And I'll tell you why. We I I, I don't think you hunted that morning for whatever reason, and I decided I was going to go sit in that box stand we talked about. And I remember you came. I was about done hunting.
0: I hunted on the 200 acres that
1: morning. Oh, did you? Okay, yes. That's right. You were going to come and get your one of your stands and move it over to the 200. I think yep. what we were going to do. And so I got down. I had left my bag in the box stand. That's very important key part. One of the key parts of this story. And I had my rifle with me. I took it down from the stand, went over, helped you get the uh, get the tree stand down and out of the woods back to the road and I you dropped me off back at the box stand to go get my bag well I left act just act, wasn't even thinking about it and left my rifle in your truck and I went got my bag got in my truck and was going to meet you over the 200 acre piece and as I was pulling out from the box stand I looked down the road and I see a it, it is actually a buck standing right there, and I remember uh, I looked at the buck and it says, Figures, I don't have my rifle, and then I remembered I had the pistol that was under my seat, under the passenger seat, and I'm trying to keep an eye on the on the on the buck to make sure it doesn't leave. And as soon as I turned my head to try to go reach to get the pistol, it was gone. So <laughs> always make sure you got a gun handy
0: when you're uh, when it's deer season and you're in the woods. Absolutely, and I'll tell you another funny story on that one. On that same aspect, we were, uh, that was a big thing. When we were at the, the we had a lease in Blakely and we were all over there. My dad was working on the bathroom we had built and uh, nobody had a gun around and lo and behold, right there through the middle of camp comes four does. Everybody just stands there and has to watch them. <laughs> Nobody's got a gun. And mind you this is this, there's 300 yards so they can get to the woods they came from across the street they ran across the, the cornfield across the street jumped the road and right to the back side of camp there they go nothing we can just do just waving at them yeah <laughs> waving back with their white tails <laughs> so uh, my tip of the week I, I'll say this leasing doesn't have to be expensive we had so many members the first year to make it cheap for us the second year, we downgraded the property size and we downgraded the members. We, we got rid of the 600 acre piece because, as I said earlier, the timber company came in and they cut over 300 acres of woods off of that 600 acre property. So it wasn't worth it to us to keep, continue leasing something that was just literally bare ground, no woods. So we decreased our members and we moved over to the 200 acre piece. Um, what was are due the second? Year. It was only three hundred bucks. Like three hundred bucks. Three hundred bucks. Right yep. And it was three hundred and three hundred and ten dollars. Um, but that paid for our lease. Plus, it rented us two spaces in the in the neighboring club's camp area where they had power and water, so we could put yeah. campers over there and camp with them. For the guys that weren't local. So. Remember that first year was kind of rough. I stayed in the tent or slept in the truck. <laughs> yeah. I stayed at home. I lived uh, 20 minutes away. But, so, it doesn't have to be expensive. You can make it as expensive or as cheap as you want to. The start comes with finding a piece of property that's affordable to begin with. Yeah. Right? Uh, looking at a piece that's. You know, if you're looking at a thousand acres at, at $20 an acre, that's that's pretty expensive. Yeah. But if you're looking at 200 acres at $20 an acre, that's far more affordable. Yeah. Um, so I, I wish I was good enough at math to tell you how much 200 times 20, about four grand. Something like, roughly. Uh, so. You Take that, we're gonna say your, your lease is, is 10 grand, right? Yeah. We'll say 10 grand for 600 acres, right? yeah. So, which is pretty expensive, yeah, regardless. But you put 10 guys on 600 acres, and that's a thousand dollars a piece, yeah, and that's a one time fee. Yeah, that's a yearly. So you break that down, and that's roughly $80 a month. Yeah. So when you break it down like that, and you you can look now, maybe if you wanted to lease not for the 2020-2021 season, but you wanted to be on a lease 2021-2022, you may want to decide now, I think I want to pay this much. I want to pay no more then twelve hundred dollars for a hunting lease for a year so start saving your money now setting that money aside and then when that time comes around that next year when the lease comes back up you can find that property you can lease it out and you may even get a group of guys together right now to decide next year this is what we want to do so all throughout the year you can be looking for that property for lease uh you, you can use and really man i just googled property for lease in Georgia. Yeah. and you'll get multiple different sources that'll come up you can get on email lists they'll send you emails when properties are up for lease I get emails now a lot from Ray and because we lease from them they've got more properties coming out the 22nd of May their properties in Georgia are generally fairly inexpensive but you're not going to find a lot of hardwoods that's all pine trees yeah uh, leasing from a private individual you're going to find usually a better quality of property but you are going to pay a little more for the most part so figure out what you want to do. You want a cheap place to hunt? You go to the timber company. But the timber company comes with a lot of drawbacks. Yes, it does. Going with the private individual, you're going to pay more and the property could get sold out from underneath you, which could also happen with the timber company. Yeah. Uh, but you can... There's going to be some positives to that. Uh, they're not likely to be holding on to that property strictly for the harvest of the trees upon it. Uh, a lot of that property is generational. You can lease from farmers who are who own 400 acres of land, but 100 acres of that is is fields, crop fields. Yeah. Which is uh, can be beneficial. It's extremely beneficial. That's yeah. free food plots. Yeah. <laughs> I love. I, I would love to find a farmer to lease from. Yeah. Who, who had a setup like that? 400 acres and a quarter of it is is fields. They're gonna plant. Yeah. That's great. I'd love that. Because, like I said, it's free food plots. Yeah. Um, and then the rest is woods. So the farmer has that land pretty much strictly just to plant on. And he's yeah. leasing to you uh, to so you can hunt. And he makes more money off of it that way. Yeah. So, and again, he may come through and he may thin pines. He may cut pines. He may cut hardwood for money. Yeah. Uh, but it's not, it doesn't happen as regularly as it would leasing from a timber company whose sole purpose for owning that is to cut it. Mm -hmm. So, but you look at that, you look at the property you want to lease and you decide how much you want to spend and you start looking for something in that price range. You know, you want 200 acres, you know, you want to pay 10 grand for the 200 acres per year. And this, that's kind of, that's expensive can be and you know you want to put 200 acres 8 guys on 200 acres which is a lot yeah and you want to pay 6 grand total yeah you figure out a, a, a amount that you can afford you find guys that can afford the same amount put all those funds together have the money ready when the property comes up for lease because yeah. property for lease is a hot commodity it is uh, we actually leased our 600 acres out from underneath the club next to us because we Got our money in the bank faster. Pretty much. That's literally what happened. Yeah. I had no idea we were doing that when we did it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it worked out really well because the guy uh, talked the timber company down like 20 cents an acre on the yeah. property. Uh, and then we leased it for 20 cents cheaper an acre. So I actually leased it at the list price um, and then got a refund of some of my money. <laughs> so I bought corn. Yeah. We, I bought corn for property. So... But, you know, like I said, get those funds together. Start looking now. The leases are coming available now if you have the funds. And around this time of year again is when clubs are going to be looking for members. Or towards the end of deer season, if you don't want to manage your own club. Uh, It's nice to manage your own club because you get to make your own rules. But if you can find a club where the rules align with the way, the things you like, and, you know, that's what you want to do, then go for it. You know, um, it could be very different to join a club with people you don't know uh, but you could literally make lifelong friends that way so it is what it is at the end of the day you got choices that's right <laughs> and we're in Georgia now that's right just crossed the state line so there we go this has been another episode of the under pressure outdoors podcast you know if you guys listen this long get on there give us a give us a review good bad or indifferent Uh, let us know what you think give us some suggestions follow us on Facebook follow us on Instagram you know I've been keeping up pretty regular this week you got the first phase of uh, fall applications came out we put in for that sandbar deer hunt so we'll keep you guys posted on how we do with that this year whether we draw or whether we just get some quota permit or get some uh, preference points But uh, we'll see how it goes. I don't think we're going to be able to take my boat out to St. Vincent. Uh, No, we are not. (laughs) Even if we could, I don't think I would want to. Uh, We're going to have to get a video series going on, these two janky John boats that me and Briar got. Uh, But you know what? We make it work for Duck Hunt, don't we? Yeah, we're going to. So until next week, guys. Uh, Well, guys and gals, you know, we have a 25 $100 $100 boat, boat seats and a $400 John boat. Yeah. <laughs> Trailer you know, included. <laughs> you know, we have we have a 20% female listener base. Do we, really? Yes, we do. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't it? Yeah, we need so, to just guys get and ladies girl. in the woods. <laughs> that's right. That's what it's about, you know. So In the woods and on the water. That's right. Until next week, you guys have a great week.